All right, we're going to be over in Revelation uh, chapter 21 this morning. And um, this is an interesting passage of Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. Because I'm going to talk about something I don't know anything about. I'm going to talk about heaven this morning. I don't know anything about it except what the Bible tells me. And let, let's be honest, the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot. It gives us little glimpses, little tastes of it. The other thing I want to make sure that we're distinguishing between, when we think about going to heaven, we use the word heaven. Sometimes in the Bible, the word heaven, they're talk, it's talking about the sky and the outer space. We're not talking about sky or outer space. We're not just talking about not being in this place. We're talking about heaven, and the way we talk about it, again, the, the Bible uses a lot of different words and phrases about this, but it's ultimately trying to get us to this point where, where we are going to eternally be in the presence of God. Now, you can call that what you want to. We call it heaven. That's just the common vernacular, but that's what he's talking about. Forever, eternally being in the presence of God. That's a pretty big subject. That's a pretty big topic. And it's so big that I, I don't feel equipped to talk to you about it, but I want to do this. I'm going to read these eight verses, and I want to talk to you just a little bit about these eight verses and what they mean. I hope it's an encouragement to you. If it's not an encouragement to you, I want you to take that as a prompt from the Holy Spirit to kind of do some soul searching. Why isn't that encouraging to me? What is wrong with, what is going on here? What is the Lord trying to teach me? I want to try to be as plain and direct as I can be, but at the same time, I don't want to miss what the Bible's teaching us here in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. I want to ask you if you're able to, to stand with me as we read the Lord's words. We believe that these, see, I don't know anything about heaven, but I know that God does, and he gave it to us. So we're just going to take him at his word. Here's what he says. Of course, he's given this message to John, so when you see the word I, this is John talking. He says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of, the heaven, out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for all the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega the beginning and the end, I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. 
Let's pray together. Lord, I need your help as I try to share with your folks here, your people, your, your church, what they have to look forward to. Please help me to explain this in a way that is uplifting to their spirit that points them to the Savior. And Father, I am sure that there's someone listening either on the live stream or by the phone or sitting in this congregation this morning who find themselves, if they're honest, defined by verse 8, fearful and unbelieving, liars, etc. Please help them to find their way. Show them, come to them, so they can find Jesus, drink of that water of life freely. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You all can be seated. The fact is that the end is near. John, the revelator, is writing these words down. This is now on about 19, 1900, 2000 years ago. I mean, this has been a few years. He's writing this down, and when he's writing it down, just after he writes it down and shares with the churches, they knew that this was about to happen any moment now. So the end is near. The end is near sooner than we realize, I believe. It's sooner than many of us would like to think it is. Everything you see around you is finite. It has a beginning and it has an end. Everything around you, there's going to be a moment where God says, it's done. I'm marking the line and he says, it's done. I believe that there's going to be a moment when he says, it's all over. And that moment, we see the aftermath of it in verse 1. I want you to see there where he sees, John sees, a new heaven and a new earth. Why? Because the first heaven and the first earth, by the way, we're living on the first heaven, or first earth rather, and we are, we are living underneath the first heaven today. This is where we are, the first heaven, first earth. But he says, I, but the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. There's a moment where this planet, where this atmosphere, those stars that you see in the sky, where everything that you know will no longer be. Uh, Peter writes about this in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. He says, the day of the Lord, it's referred to as the day of the Lord. If you go back to the Old Testament, you'll see references to the day of the Lord. This is the same day it's being talked about here. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Did you know that everything that exists is no longer going to exist? It will literally be burned up. It's going to be gone. Everything. But that's not exactly the end of everything. That's the end of the stuff that we see, but that's not the end of everything. We see here in this verse a new heaven and a new earth. At this point in, I would say history, but it hadn't happened yet, so I guess in the timeline of the universe... At this point in the timeline of the universe, what we commonly think of as heaven really shows up for the first time. Every other time, there's, you know, there's, I understand that our loved ones are in heaven, so to speak, but there will be a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be a time where all the things that were before are gone, and this thing that we think of as heaven begins to be described. The scripture, as I mentioned, doesn't tell us everything there is to know about heaven. In fact, I believe it it hides one way or one reason or another. I think that God, God has his purposes for this. He hides some of the details from us. 
But there's one glaringly obvious thing that it does tell us about heaven. And I want to try to give you this this thought as we take the few minutes to go through this, that there is something that goes on on this earth right now, and we call it the curse of sin. The curse of sin. We're all underneath it. We all feel it. But the one thing that is true of heaven is that when heaven is heaven, sin's curse is absolutely, totally, completely broken and gone. All of those things that we endure here, all of those things that cause us trouble here, they are not there. They're gone. That is one defining aspect of heaven that makes heaven heaven. By the way, some, some people, y'all, I've joked about it before, you know, that one song about if heaven's not a lot like Dixie, I don't want to go. Uh, let me tell you, if, if heaven's anything like Dixie, you don't want to go. You don't want to be there because you want it to be a completely different. That's what the scripture tells us. It's completely, everything that is, everything that is going on here is going to be broken. It's going to be changed. The troubles that define us will be changed. And the very first thing that John sees in verse 2 is he sees this holy city, this new Jerusalem coming down. This place that is described here, and, and in the next passage, we'll, we'll look at this a little more hopefully next week, but just in the next passage, he describes a little bit more about what this Jerusalem is. But in essence, we can say that this is going to be, this Jerusalem, this city, it's our eternal dwelling place. This is where if you're a Christian, if you're a believer today, if you are, as we say, going to die and go to heaven, where you're going to stay forever is in this place called Jerusalem, this, this new Jerusalem. This is, what, this is your home. This is your pl- this place. This is the place that Jesus was talking about in John 14. Remember him saying that if I'm going to go prepare a place for you? Do you remember him talking about that? This is the place that he's prepared for you. And John sees that coming down. It's coming down out of heaven prepared as a bride adorned for her husband and it's ready now that thing that jesus had said i'm going to go home or go back to heaven and prepare for you it's now ready for you and he says what's going to happen here is now i'm going to allow you to enter into this he says there that it's a bride adorned for her husband i think there's a suggestion here it's beautiful which is part of what that is if you've ever seen a bride i mean they're they i mean i don't care what they look like they're beautiful on, a bride, on their wedding day. They're beautiful. They're just ready to, they're just, just shining, right? That, that's part of what's going on here. But that's not really the essence of his, of his message here. He's saying this, this bride is ready for her husband. I'm, I'm going to try to take y'all back to a moment. At least I had this moment. I apologize if you didn't have this moment, but I had this moment. I met Vanessa, my wife, when we were in high school. Senior, I was a senior in high school. I went off to college and tried to date some people because I thought I was somebody, and she said, no, you ain't doing that. And, um, but nonetheless, I, I, she, she was the one for me. I knew that. I worked hard that one summer, 1995, worked hard to make the money to buy a diamond ring. And I remember, I was at Bob Jones University when I was in college, and I remember I would be out, you know, we'd practice for soccer, going, walking between classes, all the things I would do. And I remember thinking in my mind, man, it'd be so good when we get married. I'm looking forward to being married. I can't wait. And I could just, I imagine this life for myself, which by the way is completely different than my life actually ended up being. But that's enough beside the point. Totally beside the point. 
But I imagine I just had all these, oh, this is just going to be wonderful. Get to come home to her every day. Because you see what I had to do? Because she was up here in, uh, in North Carolina. She was up in uh, Walnut Cove. I had to call her on the phone back in the day. We just, we had to actually pick up a phone and pick up on the, on the wall. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, but we'd talk on the phone and send letters back and forth. And, and those were great. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed them, but, but they weren't the same. I, was just, I just dreamed of the day where when I would be done with my work for the day, I could come home to my wife and I could be with her and nobody would be in the way. I didn't have to drive two and a half hours up I-85 to come see her. I could just, just be with her. And then there was that moment in July of 1996 where I walked down the aisle, or rather she walked down the aisle to me. I didn't walk, she did. Uh, walked down the aisle, and we walked out together. That's what I was imagining, just walking out together. And there's a picture of me when I'm walking out, the, out of the church with her. She's got this look like, oh my goodness, what in the world did I just do? But I've got this look on my face that says, oh yeah, I got what I came for. I did. I did. You, 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 I'm, Y'all think I'm making that up. You go look at that picture. I mean, tell you, that, that boy's up to something. I mean, I don't know what he's doing. But the point I'm trying to get you to see was up until that moment, and we, we were, we were a, a couple, and I think this is the way God intends for it to be, but we were a couple that we did not live together before we were married. We had, we, had, we had tried to be as pure as possible before that so that when we came together, this was, for our, this was our, our forever commitment to one another. And there was an anticipation that we had. And then when we were able to be together, we were together and we enjoyed that time. There was this unfettered access. I remember we went on our honeymoon up to Vermont, which is the dumbest thing I've ever done in my entire life. <laughs> the, the honeymoon was great. The trip was stupid. But I remember riding up a ridiculous highway what was that, 95? Oh my goodness, got stuck in watching. Anyway, I'm getting, I'm getting off track. But I remember riding up that highway and thinking, man, she's right here. This woman I love is right here with me. She ain't going nowhere. Just had to stop off and get her some bologna and mustard sandwiches, and she was good. <laughs> she was good to go. But I'm just saying, she was right there with me. It was so wonderful. All those years, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm just going to die alone. But I'm saying, now I've got this woman that I love and she loves me. And we're right here together all of the time. All of that is to try to get you to see a picture of what I believe in such a pale shadow of a way, what is anticipated here. The weight on this passage where he says that the city is coming down prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, the weight on that is what the arrival of that home actually means. The bride is ready for her husband. There's no more delay. We're sitting here right now and we are, I hope, anticipating the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There will be a moment in time and some point in the, fut point in the future where we're not anticipating it. We're enjoying His presence. There, there's no more barriers. We talk about right now how we need to spend, I, I'll, maybe I'll just take on this one, I need to spend more time in prayer talking to the Lord. There's going to be a moment in time where you don't need to pray. You're just going to need to go say, hey Lord, because He's going to be right there. Right there with you. 
There's going to be a moment in time, sometimes, and some of y'all felt this before, I, I know because you've talked to me about it, and I can tell you I felt the same way. You feel so far away from the Lord, you just say, I don't understand why, it's just like the heavens are brass, I can't, I can't, nothing feels right, everything spiritually feels dry and dead and all, and you're not going to have to worry about that then because you're going to be in the middle of it. There's no more interference. There's nothing in between. There's that song, that nothing between my soul and the Savior. There will be literally nothing between you and God. You will be there in His presence. No more will there be this idea of, well, I'm there in spirit. I remember when I was in college, you know, there was that idea that, you know, we're in each other's heart. You know, the things you say when you're romantic like that. Well, you're in my heart. Well, I don't want you in my heart. I want you in the car beside of me. I want you in the house with me. I don't want you in my heart. I know some of you that have lost loved ones, and you, in your heart you love them, and you think about them, and they are in your heart, and I'm not mocking you for that, but you don't want them in your heart. You want them with you. You want to hold their hand. You want to kiss their neck. You want them with you. This is the way that it is with God. We want Him in our presence, and we will have Him. And of course, we know as well, as a side note, you'll have all those loved ones that have gone on before who are believers and in Christ. We will get to be with them one day. But the hope and the, 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 hope and the, the treasure is that we will get to have nothing between us and the Savior. No intermediary. I'm not looking forward. I will be in the middle of it. No, no reason, and I don't mean to disparage faith because we know that faith is the, is the substance of things hoped for. But I won't need faith in that day. I'll have sight. I'll have him in my hands. He will be mine. When I get to heaven, when you get to heaven, when that happens, God moves in. He moves in. But not only does God move in, sin moves out. I want you to see this. He says there that this bride is adorned for her husband. He says there, and I have heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. If you go all the way back to the Old Testament, the children of Israel have been brought out of Egypt, and they are, they've crossed over the Red Sea. They are headed towards the Promised Land. They're at Mount Sinai. God has given them the, the, the commandments. We know them as the Ten Commandments, but there's a lot more to the law than that, of course. But he gives them those commandments. And they are there, and they want to worship God. But you know, they can't access God. In fact, if you go to the end of Exodus, the beginning of the book of Leviticus, you find Moses is shut out of that tabernacle that he is supposed to have built to go into God's prison. He can't get in. And you know what God has to do? He has to give them a whole sacrificial system so that their sins could be atoned for, so that they could even walk into his presence. He's promised to dwell with them. He's promised to be with them. But you see, God cannot be where sin is. So what God had to do, and God did graciously for the children of Israel, is he made a way for sinful people to be in his presence so that he could indeed dwell with them. That's what he did. That promise that he gave to Israel back then, that he's fulfilled through Jesus Christ for us today, that he will be with us. In fact, we know that we have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in us as believers today because of what Jesus has done. But that promise will ultimately be fulfilled here when heaven comes down. 
to be fulfilled here when there is a new heaven and new earth. He will be our God. We will be his people. Because that primary block for the presence of God is finally removed. Y'all understand that, that, that the reason that you feel that God is far from you often, not always, I understand there are other reasons, but primarily, you know what the, one of the primary reasons is? You don't have to tell, say it out loud, but we know, sin. There's something you did, something you thought, somewhere you went, something you said, and you have allowed sin to enter into your life, and therefore praying gets a little harder. Therefore, you know that the Holy Spirit, the Bible uses the word, he's grieved. He's grieved. He's not mad at you. Don't get that. Don't hear that. That's not what he said. He's grieved. <laughs> it's the worst thing. When I was a kid, Daddy say, boy, I am disappointed in you. And you're like, man, I really messed it up now. My daddy loved me. He's never going to stop loving me. But, man, he was disappointed. Same thing with the Holy Spirit. We do that to him primary block right now for the presence of God in our lives, in our churches, in our communities is sin. But when God moves in, sin moves out. You see this here? You can see it. You can see how it looks. Look at verse 4. God's going to wipe away all tears from their eyes. Every tear is going to be gone. Do you know what sin does? It hurts people. That's what it does. I know it feels good for a season. That's why we do it. We go after it because it feels good. It, it seems like it solves a problem. But we know what happens. You do the sin, you do the thing, and you're upset because of the damage it causes. Those tears are going to be gone. He goes on to say that there's going to be no more death. Death is fully abolished. He promised this in 2 Timothy 2 verse 10 and he literally is going to abolish death death will not be outlawed death will not just be defeated death won't be possible there will be no more death it is gone it is done it is finished we know that the wages of sin are death but here we see fully the gift of god eternal life right here death is gone he says there's not going to be any sorrow and no crying all of those causes of sadness, all of the crying out, whether it is in pain of our bodies or pain of our spirits, but whether it's whatever that reason for crying out, whatever the, the reasons for the sorrow, whatever the reasons for the agony, some of you I know, and when you're by yourself, you know that you, there are tears that either come to your eyes or want to come to your eyes because of some pain in this world. It might be your sin, it might be the sin of another person, but you are hurting. It might even just be the sin curse because sometimes these bodies, as Brother Darrell, our bodies, they break down, don't they? They just break down and break apart. And that's the sin in this world. That's the reason we have that happening. But all that's going to be gone. Why? Because it's going to be destroyed in the fire. It's destroyed. Remember I told you the world's going to be burnt down? It's all going to be destroyed in the fire. All of that. Because now God, if you look with me in verse, verse 4, the last part, part, the former things are all passed away. And he, what does he say in verse 5? I make all things new. He makes everything new. And what I just described to you, if you're thinking with me, you're thinking, man, that sure does sound like a beautiful dream. No more pain. Nobody's going to leave me anymore. I'm not going to cause my own problems. Let me tell you, I can cause more problems for myself than anybody can. I'm not going to cause my own problems anymore. I, I'm going to have perfect relationship with God, 
perfect relationship with everybody around me. All those reasons that I cry are gone. I don't have to cry out in agony anymore. Sounds like a dream, doesn't it? But here's what he says. This is God saying this. He tells John, write, for these words are true and faithful. They're true. They're right. They're faithful. You can depend on them. They are dependable. They are going to happen. It is a foregone conclusion. You can count on this happening. In heaven, God's going to move in. In heaven, the sin curse is going to move out. Ain't that something? I want that, don't you? But if you want heaven where God moves in and sin curse moves out, you better have Jesus. I'm telling you that because that's just my belief in life, but I'm also telling you that because that's what this passage tells us. I want you to see this. Look with me in in verse 6. And he said unto me, it is done. What's done? Everything we just said. God moving in, sin moving out. It's done. Who said that? I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Well, I can just go ahead and tell you that the one who's A to Z, the one who is start and finished, the one who describes himself this way, the one who consumes everything that exists, who was before time and will exist long after time is over, that one is Jesus. If you want to cross-reference for me, if you want to check my math on this, go to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8. And if you've got a red-letter edition, those letters are in red, and they are said by our Savior Jesus Christ, and he describes himself as Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, Hebrews 12, 2 says, he's the one who accomplishes this. He says, it is done. He's the one. Jesus is the one who makes this happen. But he also says, I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He is the one who enables God to dwell with us. He is the one that is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who breaks sin's curse. He is the one that will quench the thirst in your soul. I can't imagine that there's anybody that is thinking. And there might be some people who are just out of their minds, but I would imagine most thinking people. There's been at least a moment where you said, man... Sure would be good if this wasn't like that, if this was gone, if this problem wasn't here anymore. You know, we, we got some we troubleshoot. Wish this wasn't the way it was anymore. That what you're what you're responding to is a thirst in your soul for God to move in and for sin to move out. You want that. That's really what you want. And what Jesus is saying here, that's what you're thirsty for. I got the fountain of water of life. You need to come drink it of me. And it will be available to you at absolutely no cost. Could you imagine? (laughs) There are people that spend billions of dollars to advertise to you to buy some new candy bar, some new bar of soap, some new drink, whatever. They spend just ridiculous amount of money to say, would you do this? And they want you to walk into a store and pay four, five, six dollars for a six-pack of whatever. They want you to pay, they want you to go plop down your $10 bill to go see this experience. They want, they want your money for these things. And they're going to tell you that when you do that, you're going to be better looking. You're going to feel good. You're going to, you're going to accomplish all the things in the hopes and joys of your life. 
And if you think I'm kidding, you go watch one of those advertisements and pay attention. They're telling you you're going to look better, smell better, taste better, feel better, everything. Everything that's wrong with you will be fixed. When you pop the can and you drink this thing, you will be a better person. That's what they're telling you. And I can tell you they're going to charge you for the right and the privilege to take part of this. Now let me tell you, I, I, let's go ahead and tell you, they're lying to you. You know that, don't you? If you don't, let me just tell you, they're lying to you. They're lying to you. <laughs> let me tell you, I've tasted every kind of ice cream there ever was. And I sure do like it, but it don't make me a better person. In fact, it kind of, it does some bad stuff to you, let me tell you. You should stop. And you can say that just about any kind of product that you eat, drink, or whatever. But could you imagine if you actually had something that if people drank it, it really would quench not just the thirst in their tongue, but the thirst in their soul. How much would you charge for that? Man, could you imagine? But look at what Jesus does with this. It's freely given. Without charge, no cost. Now don't, be, don't get me wrong, it did cost him his life. He paid dearly for it. But do understand that it costs you not a cent. It costs you not a bit. And he has done this freely. He says in verse 7, He that overcometh shall inherit all things. He's welcoming you if you're an overcomer. You say, well, I'm not an overcomer. I sure am been defeated. I, I want to make sure you re cross-reference Bible with Bible because in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 5, he tells us who overcomers are. He is, who, he, who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus has to come, has, you have to come to Jesus rather, he has to become to you. When you come to him, you have to come to him with all of your needs and your hopes and your dreams and say, Lord, I believe you're the hope that I have. And he says then, go to, go to that verse 7, you're one of those people that comes to him and says, I believe in you, you're an overcomer, you'll inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. You come to Jesus for your hopes and your dreams and your desires and the desires of your soul. He has promised, it is done. I will make it happen. I will make it happen. I will quench that thirst in your soul for that desire that you have. And all you need to do is just come to me. And I'll make you my son. I will make you my, my child. I'll be your God. He's the only way. I, I think sometimes we think about going to heaven and I wonder if we really want the heaven of the Bible. Because Jesus makes heaven possible. And when you go to heaven, if I'm reading this correctly, the, not only the way to get there, but what you're going to do when you get there is you're not going to get sin, you're going to get God 24-7. Can you imagine? You get God 24-7. That's all you get. And he's the hope that you have, God, 24-7, all the time, every day, all day, God, God, God. If you got to heaven, would it be heaven? The heaven you described, would it actually be heaven? The heaven in your mind, you understand what I'm saying? If I got to go where I want to go, would it actually be the heaven of the Bible? And I would dare say that most of us, the heaven in our mind, if we're honest about it, it's not the heaven of the Bible. Because, because Jesus makes heaven possible, Jesus makes heaven wonderful, and if Jesus doesn't matter to you now, 
you definitely don't want to go to heaven because that's all that matters in heaven. If Jesus is not important to you now, you definitely don't want to go to heaven because he's not just important, he's all that's there. I want you to understand that in heaven, Jesus is the answer. Not just here on this earth. He is the answer here. Yes, he is. But he's not the... We, talk about, we think about Jesus as the key to heaven, and in a sense, that's right. But he's not your bus pass to heaven. He literally is heaven. So if you don't have Jesus now because you don't want him, or you only have him as a token so that you can put him in the slot machine of eternity so that you may win some prize that is in your imagination, I want to guarantee you this is not where you are going because Jesus is not a token. Jesus is not an icon. Jesus is not a, a totem. He is not some kind of, uh, of, of image that we can worship. He is the God of the universe, and apart from Him, we have nothing but the sin curse. Apart from Him, we are separated from God. But with Him, we can not only go to this heaven we're describing, but when we go to this heaven, we can enjoy God. And the curse is gone because of what Jesus has done. When you go to heaven, <laughs> will it be the heaven of the Bible? Because in, de in heaven, death can't enter in. Because he says here that if you're an overcomer, if you believe in Jesus, you can inherit these things. I'll be your God. You'll be my son. But in verse 8, he says, but if this describes you, if you are fearful, you fear man, what they think versus what God thinks. If you're unbelieving, you do not have faith in Jesus. Your belief is in some other hope of your eternity. If you're abominable, you are vile, you are polluted, you are defiled in your soul because of the sins that you indulge in. If you are a murderer, Jesus even describes not just killing people, abortion and things like that, but one who actually has hate in his heart for another person. Jesus says this on the Sermon on the Mount. If that's who you are, if you're a whoremonger, the Bible says, one who is impure, sexually impure, a fornicator, you're a sorcerer. Certainly that means those involved in the occult, but also there's a hint of those who are drug users or drug pushers, people who take the drugs and try to use them to numb and manipulate people. That's what the sorcerers involve as well. If you're an idolater, anyone who takes an image of God or a substitute for God and puts it in the place of God himself. And if you're a liar, like your father, the dragon, Satan, the devil himself. Those are all people who don't come to Jesus. That's what they're called, people who don't come to Jesus. Those people are looking elsewhere to quench the thirst in their soul. I mean, that's just what those sins are. They're looking elsewhere. They're looking to what man's opinion is of them. What, they want to believe in something other than the, the Savior. They, 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 want to, they want to think they're superior to other people, so they hate other people. Uh, they want to numb their minds, so they will participate in drug use, and recreational drug use. Uh, they, they'll lie to, to manipulate a situation. Uh, they'll do all these things. Why are they doing them? Why do we sin? Why do we sin? We sin because we're not trusting in the Savior. We're looking elsewhere to quench our thirst. We're drinking from every other fountain of water than the fountain that is the water of life. 
he tells us what we get to participate in. Right now, as you're imagining heaven, whatever that imagination might be, if it's anything other than what's in the Bible, where you're actually going to be, you'll, you'll get the desires of your heart constantly, constantly, constantly. Because what you're going to get in verse 8, he says, you're going to go to that lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. You're going to get exactly what your heart desires, a place where God is not, a place where the curse of sin remains in full effect. This is what an eternity outside of the real heaven, the heaven of the Bible, looks like. God does not dwell with you, and the full weight of the curse comes down. See, Jesus is the point of the Bible. He's the point of history. He's the point of the plan of salvation. He's the very point of your existence, your life on this planet, the the the. the the point of heaven itself is Jesus. And there are some of you today that are listening to me and you say, well, I believe in Jesus, so I'm going to the heaven of the Bible. And I want to say, that's awesome. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And I hope you're saying that somewhere in your soul. Thank you, Jesus. But will you still come to him? Find your hope in him? Because you get him, nothing but him in the end. That's what you get. You get Jesus. You're going to get to go to a place and I don't think I'm doing it justice with the words that I'm using but I hope, I, I hope the Holy Spirit is giving you some glimpse into what I'm trying to say. You get to go to a place where God moves in to dwell with you. He gets, he, he's with you. And all the things that cause you pain and sorrow and torment and hurt finds no home. It moves out. That's if you believe in Jesus. You get him. But apart from Jesus, the future that you have to look forward to is ugly. It's terrible. It's awful. You get the lake that burns forever. You get the dragon, the beast, the false prophet, the whore of Babylon. You get the second death. You get the absence of God. You get the full weight of the curse. But what Jesus is offering, I want to take you back to verse 6, I give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. Please come and drink of that fountain. He's offering himself right now. I want to invite you to come. I want to ask you to stand. We're going to play just through a, a song for just a moment, give you a moment of invitation. And here's my invitation. If you're a believer this morning, just thank the Lord for for the future just relish in this thought i hope i've given you something to meditate on that's what i'm hoping i gave you think on this cry out to god thank you jesus for giving me that why don't you do that christian but i wanted to spend the the minute that i'm going to take right now and emphasize if there's anybody listening if you're on the live stream watching this or if you're in this room right now watching this please 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 drink of the water of life freely. And I want to be as plain as I've ever known how to be on this. You don't know what I'm talking about? What this means is this. You need to admit in your heart that there's something missing. You're lost. You're hungry. You're 
thirsty for some spiritual food that you do not have, that you know that left to your own devices, you will end up in that pit of hell forever. And go ahead and call out to Jesus and pray this, some prayer version of this prayer that says, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know that apart from Jesus, I'm going to hell. But I'm going to put my belief in his finished work, that he, Jesus, died on the cross for my sins. I'm going to believe that he did that, that he's going to give me eternal life. And if you'll do that, if you'll believe that, Jesus will save you. Jesus will invite you to heaven with him. And I'm talking about the heaven of the Bible now. He'll do that. Would you come to Jesus this morning? If you did that in any way, would you just let us know? Maybe you want to come forward and pray. Just let us know. They're going to play through. Lord, I pray that you will move in your people. Please speak to them. Encourage them to respond to the preaching. We pray this in Jesus' name.